Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Day 41 by Dr. Stuart Robinson. Today, it's appropriate, I think, in view of what is happening in parts of the world, and that which is on your television sets every day, with particular reference to Afghanistan, through Iraq, through Iran, through many countries, that I speak to you on a subject which uh, I've not raised in this church before. And I call my message today, Day 41, and I dare to bring you a challenge which by the end of our time together here today, some of you might face a major direction in your life. As we heard before, Jesus is the light of the world. The darkness is coming, but the light will not be overcome by that. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 to 11, there is a familiar story. I won't read it this morning. You can read it in your own time. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 17, verses 1 to 11. Israel's permanent enemy... The Philistines had assembled on the hill of Sacho in Judah. On a neighboring hill, King Saul had assembled his army. And for 40 days, they had been standard, stranded in a standoff because the Philistines appeared to have what we today would call a weapon of mass destruction by which the Israelites had understandably been intimidated. They were too frightened to join in the inevitable battle, and there was no way to avoid it. This particular weapon stood three meters tall. On his right side, there was a spear, the iron tip of which weighed seven kilograms, much heavier than an Olympic javelin. On his back there hung a huge sword and his body was covered with 57 kilograms of bronze armor plating. For additional protection, a bearer walked in front of him carrying a special shield. This was the giant Goliath. And day after day, For 40 days, he came out to do battle with anyone who was courageous or foolish enough to accept his challenge. Every day, he cursed those Israelites by his gods, and he dared them, thoroughly intimidated them, terrorized them to send out anyone to fight him. Winner take all. And every day, the Israelites listened to that bellowing, threatening roar, and they quaked in fear. And then came day 41. And on that day, there arrived in King Saul's camp a youth. He would sent by his father Jesse to visit his older brothers with some food supplies as they were doing their national service. The only thing to commend 
The presence of this youth to the gathered soldiers was that he could play some songs on a stringed instrument, uh, but there was little mood for singing in the camp at that time. When David heard the daily daunting dare, the ranting of Goliath, he immediately offered to step forward and deal with the fellow permanently. He had only one precondition, that he not be obliged to wear King Saul's armor. It was too cumbersome, and he could do better without it. So armed with only a sling and five small smooth stones, which he had selected from a nearby stream as he crossed over to Goliath's side of the valley, He went on to face the giant alone. Goliath naturally felt insulted to be confronted by this mere unarmed boy. And so by his gods, he cursed David. And David replied, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, whom you have defied. And all those gathered here will know that that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. David was aware of this because on the day on which Samuel had secretly anointed him to be the future king of Israel, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord had come upon him in power. On day 41, a youth refused to be intimidated by the terrorizing taunts of the enemy. He looked out and he saw not the size of the giant, but the greatness of his God. The giant was slain. The enemy routed. In the first century of Islam's existence, Arab armies swarmed out of the peninsula and quickly going to the west, right across northern Africa, up into France and to Spain. They conquered and destroyed all of Christendom in that area. And then they surged to the east, in the north up into far off China, To the southeast, down they reached in what today we call Afghanistan. And ever since, for 1400 years, God's people, the church, has mostly been immobilized by fear, crippled by terror, weakened by unbelief. And it shows in how few workers in all of this time we have ever sent out to live and to work amongst the Muslim peoples. Among the approximately 7,400 unreached people groups still on the earth today, most of those people are Muslims. For 1,400 years, in typical Goliath fashion, In accordance with its sacred texts, 
It has cursed us. It is said that they are the best and the others are the worst of all creatures. And as such, we are doomed to be punished in hell forever. In the Quran, it says that they have shouted that they are the winners. and We are all the losers. It is declared that they will rule the world. And that when the Islamic Jesus returns, he will smash all crosses. He will kill all pigs. And he will call non-Muslims to come and acknowledge and bow down to Allah. And any refusal will mean death. It says that the Holy Bible and the God of the Bible are all gross corruptions. And only the Quran and Allah's messenger Muhammad represent truth. And for 1400 years, with comparatively few exceptions... We have listened to the roar of this giant. And we have mostly abandoned the field of battle and crouched down behind our our flimsy security shields of geographical distance or occasional military and economic might. And we had hoped that the inevitable conflict could somehow be avoided. In our time, therefore, we have busied ourselves by building ever bigger barns, of pursuing environmental agendas, of debating the ordination of women and then the ordination of people of same-sex couples, relationships, and many other contemporary social issues has been on the forefront of the church's agenda. Many modern King Saul's have arisen to speak on our behalf. And so our political leaders tell us that what is happening is not the true Islam, which is, after all, a religion of peace. Many of our religious leaders have said that we should not disturb Muslims with our Christian message. We just need dialogue. After all, we do worship the same God, don't we? We just need to be friends and then all will be well. In this, our political and religious elite reveal their abysmal ignorance of Islam's sacred texts, not to mention its 1,400 years of well-documented history and their military conquests. It was Jesus of the Bible of whom we're reminded here this morning, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through me. And as we know, it is only through him. And what he has accomplished on the death of that cross, that a relationship with God is possible. But all of that is emphatically denied by Islam. Jesus also said in Luke chapter 19, that if we remain silent, then even the stones will rise up and cry out. And so in in view of the church's indecision and unresponsiveness, the Lord of the church himself, Jesus, is stepping in to take the initiative to achieve that which he has always desired. 
that the people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, according to Revelation 7, should come and bow before and confess that Jesus alone is Lord, Philippians chapter 2. And he does not intend that 1.8 billion people who are known as Muslims should miss out on the invitation to come, repent and worship him. As Michael Stolerk, the senior preacher in the Wetzlar Cathedral, north of Frankfurt in Germany, stood at the door farewelling the people after a morning service, he was approached by a fully veiled Muslim woman. And thinking that she was yet another beggar, he reached into his back pocket for his wallet, ready to give her some money. But the woman responded, no, no, I'm not here for money. I have a question. Are you the imam of this place? And Michael replied, well, in a way I am, but I'm actually known as a pastor. Ah, good. In that case, you are the right man. God commanded me in a dream to go to the big church on the market square and ask the imam there for the truth. And so Pastor Michael proceeded to teach her and others of her friends, and after some months, they were baptized in response to their seeking the truth. Today, across the cities of Europe and in refugee camps in the Middle East and in many other nations, Muslims are discovering Jesus. What is happening in Iran is just one example on April the 1st, 1979, in this country known as April Fool's Day, Ayatollah Ruhollah Musavi Khomeini returned to Iran and declared the inauguration of the Islamic Republic of Iran, which would be guided henceforth according to the dictates of Sharia law. And he said that Irani Iranians would know paradise on earth and wouldn't have to wait until the next life. They'd know it here in the Islamic Republic. So what has happened? In Iran, the changes which were wrought in are exactly the same as those which have always happened throughout history wherever Islam has risen and conquered. Churches were closed. Any bells were silenced according to Islam's ancient edicts. Other churches were prohibited from even using the national language, lest a passing Muslim understand what they might be saying. The Bible was restricted. Christian broadcasting was blocked. Christians were imprisoned. Key leaders were executed. Today, that country is in a state of unprecedented chaotic decline with the highest rate of executions broken marriages, drug addictions, anywhere in the world. But what has been the result? Which certainly the government won't publicize. In 1979, when the Ayatollah came back and took over, it was estimated that in the nation at that time, there were approximately 500 Muslim background believers in Jesus. By 2008, that number had grown to 220,000. 
By 2016, one estimate placed the number of evangelicals in Iran at now a million, most of whom were former Muslims. In 2013, the largest church in Tehran, opposite the university in that city, was suddenly closed. A thousand people had been attending its services, and the leaders having been forced to close the church, with hindsight, a couple of years later, in 2018, they were saying, this was the best thing that happened to us. It's like the book of Acts all over again. Our congregation, our people, our groups were forced to flee and spread all over the country, but wherever they went, they took Jesus testifying to them. And so today, instead of looking after 1,000, they said, we now have 50,000 associated with our church. Think about that. If you're scattered here, you might even be represented as far as Redland Bay. (laughs) (laughs) When the Bible was restricted, curiosity increased. And the government official went on television waving a copy of the New Testament saying, this is a prohibited book. You must not read this book. It's too dangerous. Well, guess what happened? (laughs) Demand soared. In 1990, the government closed the Bible Society. But by 2015, the banned Bible Society in that year alone was still able to distribute 150,000 printed copies of the Bible within Iran. When a Bible app was made available, 50,000 downloaded that app within hours. In 2016, one million digital Bibles and 500,000 digital New Testaments were downloaded. There is a hunger amongst these people which we won't find even within the Christian, the practicing Christian community in Western countries. The government tried to block television, Christian television and radio. But 20 million people were linked in through social media, bypassing government restrictions. And so the message continues to go out through satellite, television, radio, Internet, micro SDD cards, and so forth. Someone whom I know, um, he tells me that he has seen now 500 new fellowships in 90 cities established during his time. That's not bad for church planting. I hope you have some on your map here. When Christians were jailed, People asked, who is this Jesus that these people are willing to go to jail for? They're willing to suffer. When leaders were executed, their willingness to die united and fired up the church. Associate pastors were appointed to take charge when the senior pastor was jailed or executed. I wonder if pastor, you would be so willing to be an associate pastor if you knew you were the next on the chopping block. (laughs) And people in one church said this, it has been our privilege to offer three of our pastors as martyrs. What a waste of a good life it would be not to die as a martyr for Jesus. 
Their worldview is significantly different from ours, but perhaps more biblical. Next door in Iraq, in the midst of all of the bombing and the killing, in a 19-year period, one church there grew from six aged people to about 15,000, 2,000 of whom were former Muslims. 7,000 of them escaped to neighboring countries into refugee camps, but 1,276 of them were killed in one week when 13 Muslims turned up to talk to the pastor saying, we're sick of all of the killing. Can't you tell us of another way? What about your Jesus? And so he taught them and they arrived and they they committed themselves. They said, we want to be baptized. He said, you realize that could get you killed. We don't care. We want to follow this Jesus. And they were baptized. And 11 of the 13 were murdered in the first week. Heaven rejoices when 220,000 Muslims across 18 sub-Saharan African nations become followers of Jesus in just seven years. When 1,200 former Muslims in a tiny West African state in one year became believers and were baptized following Jesus. When 700 Muslims were baptized in Aceh in Indonesia in a six-month period, and that unique province in Indonesia is, is governed by strict Sharia law. 468 new believers were baptized on a Good Friday in Darfur in Sudan because they had seen the pastor and evangelist of the local church there. They had murdered him and brutally killed all of the members of his family and it drew people to inquire as to what is this that the man was willing to sacrifice himself and his entire family. In Central Asia, when the Soviet Empire collapsed, there were only a handful of Muslim, former Muslim believers in those domains. But by this year, they now number about 330,000. Muslims are tired of all the killing and the fighting. And they say... In the last three decades, more Muslims have been killed by other Muslims in the name of Allah than have been killed in all the wars with other Muslims or non-Muslims in the last 1400 years. They're looking for another way. They're looking for hope. They're looking for assurance in this life as well as the next. And they yearn for freedom. And a relationship with a God who will hear and might even answer their prayers rather than the distant silence of Allah. In the city of Tirana, in Albania, in which before COVID I was there most years, there were two young men who were unemployed. Typically they got caught up in drugs in alcohol, in gangs. And the worse things got, the more their parents attended the local mosque there to read the Quran and to desperately pray to Allah to do something 
but nothing happened. One day, the young adults from a good local church invited the boys to go camping with them up in the mountains. Having nothing else to do, these two young men accepted the invitation and off they went. And when they returned home, their parents noticed that their sons now seemed completely different. The parents asked, what's caused the change? And the young men replied, the change has come because we were introduced to Jesus. The parents were horrified, mortified, furious. The boys were now infidels and the whole family would have shame poured upon them by their community. However, the lives of the boys remained so different that after some months, against the express permission of the husband, the father, the wife sneaked in to the church that those boys were going to. And guess what happened? She discovered Jesus. The husband and father noticed the difference in his wife, although he protested greatly. But after some more months, he sneaked into the church and guess what? He discovered Jesus. But that left one formidable obstacle. Grandma. There's no way you can reach grandmas. We all know that. I'm married to one. <laughs> Grandma was unshakably furious. And she heaped curses and violent things upon all these infidels. The family decided that they would not react to grandma. They would simply pray for her. After some months, (laughs) grandma sneaks into the church and discovers Jesus. And the mother said this to me, Pastor Stuart, You have no idea what our lives were like. Actually, I did have some idea, but you have no idea. The more trouble our boys were in, the more we went to the mosque to pray to Allah and to read the Quran. But the more we did this, the more it seemed that we were bound ever more tightly, descending deeper and deeper into this black hole to which there was no end and no light, no escape. And then when we were totally without help and hope, suddenly we met Jesus. And then we realized, at last, we are freed. We've come into the light Pastor Stuart, you've got no idea. The change was unimaginable. To hear a testimony like that makes travel for me so sweet. The change was unimaginable. But over the millions who will never hear, I weep. The giant of Islam shouts... You cannot have a relationship with God. He is too distant. He is unknowable. But in spite of all of their scorn, their derision, their scoffing and death, 
which has been afflicted upon the church for 1400 years in sundry countries, God is now turning this to good as he said he would do in Romans 8. This is not a time for doom and gloom such as is portrayed on our television sets in view of what's happening out there every day. It's not a time to cower down in fear. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And we need to shrug off our prejudices to reorient our priorities to reach Muslims wherever they are found because they are such precious treasures who have been locked up in darkness and deceit for all of these centuries. For generations, a small number of us have gone out as missionaries to these Muslim lands. And many preceding my own era have prayed and toiled and died and saw so little fruit for their efforts. One of them summed it up like this. For 30 years we have worked and we've seen no fruit, but at least we have been used to remove stones from the field and to plant seed. And now the harvest is upon us. More Muslims have accepted Jesus in the time of my ministry in the last 40 years that have accepted him in the last 1,400 years. Jesus is running loose amongst Muslims around the world and he invites us to run with him to bring in the harvest which he declared in Matthew 9 is plentiful. And unless we do this, the harvest again may rot and be lost. In 1529, the Ottoman Emperor Caliph Suleiman the Magnificent laid siege to Vienna. The cause was almost lost and the whole of Europe could have fallen. But God saved the situation with a dramatic intervention of extreme unusual weather long before climate change was invented. And so the... The the battles were won. Europe was saved by God's intervention. But unless we respond to the challenge which comes to us on these days, we should not expect another miraculous weather of interruption by our Lord to save the nations. To the church in Philadelphia and to us, according to Revelation 3, Jesus says, See, I have placed before you an open door which no one can shut. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And he never said anything about coming back. This Jesus who died on the cross for all of us, who still brings the dead to life in places where I get to go, wants to bring 1.8 billion Muslims from being deceived into truth, from darkness to light, from death to life. And he wants to do it through us. We are his instruments. 
in the light of all that's happening and the opportunities, and I'm well aware of the dangers I've lived 60 years with those sort of things. It's time, my friends, for us to give up our small ambitions and our lack of vision. It's time to make Jesus' last command our first priority. It is day 41. And although the giant continues to bellow and intimidate and fill us all with fear, nevertheless, I say it's time to stand up to seize the initiative to go forth with no thought even of withdrawal or coming back. Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He challenges us. To live dead. How will you live? The choice is yours. And by your choice, you may well foreshadow even Islam in Australia to your grandchildren. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to come here today to worship, to sing, to fellowship, to pray freely. No one has threatened us. Freely we come, freely we go. Meanwhile, in other places, Our brothers and sisters who in recent times have found you now face the prospect of death, not only of themselves, but of those nearest and dear to them. And not only that, friends and colleagues are embedded in some of these desperate situations. So we pray for them. But we do not resile from the obligation of response that we have in this place. For irrespective of what might happen in the next few weeks in Kabul, in Afghanistan, or in any of those other violent centers, the light will not be thrust out. There is a witness, there is a testimony, and it needs reinforcement. Some of the fuel to keep that light alive and growing, is right here in our midst. Father, I pray that even as you spoke to me many, many decades ago and called me out from the comfort of this nation to start a ministry for which I've never resiled, that even here in this place, unexpectedly today, you might speak in the brief moments of silence left to us, that you might speak. Speak deeply into the spirits of those who are here. Those 
whom you have ordained to call out into this ministry. Even though we don't know how we'll get there, where it will be, or when you speak today, O Lord. And we know that that love of which we heard earlier in this service will be measured and defined not through emotion, but through our obedience to you. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Just hold that there for a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed. Open yourself to the Lord and ask him, Lord, is it me to whom you are speaking today? Is it me that you are wanting to redirect? Is it me that you're wanting to take up the challenge of a lifetime? That 25% of the world's population, that some of them might hear through me. Is it me, Lord? Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.